in, in his book, uh, Seven Reasons to Consider or to Reconsider Christianity, which is worth a read, by the way, and, and worth handing on uh, to a, a friend or family member, Ben Shaw tells this story. Saturday morning, uh, the 29th of July, 2006, a small plane carrying a group of skydivers took off from a U.S. airport. Uh, Kimberly, a 21-year-old Aussie woman from Melbourne, was one of eight on board. And Kim was in the U.S. because she was helping uh, with a, a summer school where they were caring for disabled kids. Uh, at the end of the trip, uh, her and a friend, like many of us, I suppose, wanted to uh, realise uh, that lifelong dream of going skydiving. Uh, and so it, it was tandem skydiving, each was strapped to an instructor, um, and Kimberly was buddied up with a bloke, Robert Cook, with 1,700 uh, dives under his belt. I gather that's a fair amount of experience. And as is the case these days, they filmed uh, the whole experience. Uh, in his book, Shaw says, in a particular eerie moment, uh, Kim can be seen turning the camera on and pointing it at Robert, saying, this is the man who's going to save your lo- my life. Uh, and as you might imagine where this story is going, shortly after takeoff, the plane got into trouble. Uh, so much so that people on the ground heard a bang, of smoke coming out of the engine, um, and, and on board, obviously, the excitement quickly turned to terror. Um, the plane was too low for them to bail out and use their parachutes. But Robert, he calmly turned to Kimberly and told her that the plane's going to crash. He said uh, that she should lie on top of him. He said that he would cradle her in his arms and absorb the impact in his own body as the plane hit the ground. She did as she was told, clinging to this bloke that she'd just met that morning uh, and hoping her life would be spared plane crashed, Uh, Robert died instantly, but Kimberly survived. She suffered some uh, spinal injuries, a broken pelvis, and a range of uh, minor injuries, Uh, but Robert's body had cushioned the impacts enough to save Kimberly's life uh, at the expense of his own. It's a sad yet beautiful story of self-sacrifice, isn't it? Uh, 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 a flying instructor, cool and calm under pressure, putting someone else's needs before his own, someone giving their life for another. And the reality is we'd love someone to have our back like that, wouldn't we? Uh, You're up there in the plane and you know that guy's got my back, someone who can and will really look after us. And that's true for life here and now, day to day, but also true when it comes to to our desire to shore up the future. Uh, Jen and I have been reminded lately of our inability to have have, have the back of our kids, so to speak. As much as we might want to ensure their uh, safety at all times, we just do not have the capacity as they head off to the classroom, as they head off to the 
the playground. We're not always going to be there to support and protect. And even if we were, we know we'd end up a hindrance in some way or another. And as we think about the future and and what it might hold, uh, Bruce Demarest, he says, the issue of one's future security, if not eternal destiny, is uppermost in the hearts and minds of most right-thinking people. He says the heart cry of unsaved people who are sensitive to their deepest spiritual needs can only be that posed to Paul and Silas by the Philippian jailer. I don't know if you remember this from Acts, where the Philippian jailer says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, the great problem that the Bible addresses, how can a sinful people be in relationship with a holy God? We were made for this loving relationship, to to be connected rightly to him. But how can we confidently go to, to him? The priest. The priest. The priest is to represent the people to God, to to be the the go-between. And back in chapter 3 of Hebrews, if you've been here reading along, Jesus, you recall, was called the high priest. And the instructions to the reader, uh, the early reader as well as us, was to fix our, our thoughts, our minds on him. And in chapter 4 and 5, our author or preacher began talking about what kind of ministry Jesus' high priestly ministry is. And we had that wonderful line, chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Jesus, this Jesus, who feels for us as we struggle with the difficulties of this life, this Jesus who knows what it's like. But then in chapter 5, verse 6, we read, with our preacher quoting Psalm 110, verse 4, you, Jesus, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And again in chapter 5, verse 10, we read, and, and he, Jesus, was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And last week, if you were here, we ended chapter 6 with those words, Jesus, he has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so speaking of Jesus and his priestly role, we've had reference to this Melchizedek three times now, but with no explanation. And this shadowy figure that is Melchizedek is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 14, and just two verses at that, and Psalm 110 verse 4. But finally, we get to chapter 7, and in the first 10 verses, we have an explanation. Melchizedek, see verse 1 was king of Salem, uh, that is, king of Jerusalem, a priest of God most high, that is, a priest of the Lord, the God of the Bible. And so not just a priest, but a king priest. And the two normally didn't go together. 
but here it seems they do. And this Melchizedek bloke, he met Abraham, we know from Genesis chapter 14, when Abraham was returning after defeating some kings and rescuing his nephew Lot. And there's this interesting exchange. We see it in verse 1 and 2. Melchizedek does what? He blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. But aside from his name meaning king of righteousness and king of peace, which is pretty amazing, our writer tells us what we already know from those two verses in Genesis chapter 14. You reckon verse 3 is what's key? You notice this, this shadowy figure Melchizedek, he just pops in and out of the Old Testament narrative. There's no reference to his mum or dad. No family tree, no genealogy, no beginning of days, no reference to his death, no end of life, but a priest forever. And that's all we're told about Melchizedek. In verses 4 to 10, though, our author shows us how great this shadowy figure is. At verse 4, even the great Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. And you remember, Abraham uh, was the one who received the blessings from God in Genesis chapter 12, the the blessing of uh, people and, and land. I'll bless the whole earth through you. Abraham had that son Isaac, and Isaac had the son Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and and he had those 12 uh, boys, and those 12 boys would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Levi was one of the sons. They became the Levites. And when the Israelites, they entered the promised land, all the land was divvied up, but the Levites didn't get any land of their own. Because their job was to work the temple, the place where people would go to meet with the Lord. And then from within the Levites, those who were descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother, they could become priests. The Levites, see verse 5? Those who became priests would collect a tenth from the Israelites. But this Melchizedek... Not an Israelite collected a tenth from Abraham even before the Levites existed. Uh, Not only that, but we're told again in verse 6 that Melchizedek blessed Abraham who had the promises. And we read verse 7, and without doubt the lesser is blessed by the greater. So who's greater here, Melchizedek or Abraham? Melchizedek is greater. And in verses 9 to 10, our preacher argues it's as though the Levites, those priests to come, paid a tenth through Abraham to Melchizedek as they would come from Abraham's family line. And if all of this feels a little removed from us today, well, it is, isn't it? Uh, Why would our author, our, our preacher, go to such lengths in talking about Melchizedek and the Levitical priests. Well, we remember the pastoral book of Hebrews. The original reader were drifting away from Jesus and back to the Old Covenant. And we might imagine their concern. 
A sinful people cannot easily relate to a, to a holy God. We need a priest. We need a representative. We need a go-between. And someone might say, you're trusting in this Jesus, but he's not legit. He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not a descendant of Aaron. How can he be a priest? You need a legitimate one. Not some self-appointed so-and-so. And so our author simply shows the original reader and us that there's another priestly line in the order of Melchizedek, which is actually greater, and it's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verses 11 through to 28, Melchizedek sort of rightly fades into the background. And we shouldn't spend too much time talking about him because that is, that is what he's to do. And we're again shown in this letter, we're shown Jesus. Uh, shall we just make three observations from verse 11 to 28? First, you notice Jesus is not a priest according to ancestors.com. Uh, but at the end of... Verse 16, on the basis of, you read this, an indestructible life, like that Melchizedek without beginning of days or end of life. Verse 17, he is a priest for how long? Forever. And that stands in great contrast to the priests of old. In, in the Old Testament, a dead priest needs replacing, but Jesus lives forever. And we read verse 24 and 25, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely, that is, for all time, those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. It's amazing. What is Jesus doing right now? Always, always, always living to intercede for his people. And if we worry, this is a second observation, that the Lord could change the priesthood from the Levites to Jesus. Well, he did that, didn't he? Could he do it again? From Jesus to something else? No, verse 19. No, this better hope, this solid hope that we have in Jesus, that we, that we have to draw near to God through Jesus, it was established, verse 20, through an oath. Uh, others became priests without an oath, we read verse 20, uh, ancestry.com, a, a birthright, verse 21, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, our author quoting Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And we've already had it argued that this God is the Lord. He makes promises and, and he keeps them. He never changes his mind. And so Jesus becomes the guarantor of an, a better covenant. Sometimes a parent goes guarantor on a home loan for their adult child. That's wonderful, isn't it, when that happens? Here we have Jesus, the eternal priest, 
guarantor of our salvation. And not only this, our final point, the old priests, the the Levites, they had to deal with their own sin as well. It's difficult for a sinful people relating to a holy God. They had to deal with the sin of the people as they sought to represent the people to the, the Lord, but their own as well, and that is problematic when you want to draw near to a holy God. But Jesus, verse 26, what is he? He's holy, he's blameless, he's pure and set apart from sinners and so exalted above the heavens. Uh, You know that uh, all of New South Wales is in lockdown at the moment Uh, and Canberra as well and Sydney has been uh, for some time now. Uh, this week just gone, knowing that Sydney was in lockdown, I thought I'd send an email to our old uh, Bible college principal, ex-principal Cook, um, not to see how he was going, but to ask him for a resource. Uh, I, um, my email read something like this. Uh, Since you're looking for something to do during lockdown, uh, you mentioned a survey years ago. I wonder if you could dig that one up. Um, Now, I'm sure he was actually busy with all kinds of different things, but he did kindly respond to my email. And the survey uh, was a survey of Christian leaders in uh, PNG, and it was a survey about salvation. Uh, Question three, true or false? Ezekiel was a true believer. He was growing more and more in obeying God and confessing his sins. One day, though, he was lazy and fell asleep instead of doing his work. The next day, he repented of his laziness and then suddenly died. Do you think he went to heaven? Yes or no? A hundred percent answered yes. And if that's what, good, yes. Question four. John was another true believer. He was growing more and more in obeying God and confessing his sins. One day, though, he was being lazy and fell asleep instead of doing his work. Then he suddenly died in his sleep when a tree fell on his head. So when he died, he had not repented of his laziness. Do you think he went to heaven? Yes or no? How would you answer? Do you know that of the Christian leaders surveyed, 95% answered no. No, he wouldn't go to heaven. It's so sad, isn't it? On what basis do we draw near to the God of the Bible? On what basis is your eternal salvation secure? You just look with me at verse 27 and 28 and I'll read. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. That is all time when he offered himself. 
For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. I don't know what you're going to walk away on the Melchizedek stuff here this afternoon. But perhaps this afternoon you can walk out that gate. On on what basis can I draw near to the God of the Bible? It is difficult for a, a sinful people to relate to a holy God. On what basis is my salvation sure? Him. Him. We need a priest, a mediator, someone to represent us to a holy God. And Jesus goes as guarantor of our salvation. And not only is he the perfect, forever, priestly king, but also the sacrifice who laid down his life in our place. Uh, One of our kids was, was having difficulty with the reality of school, feeling scared and alone. It's a big thing going to school for the first time. It can be a big thing going to school for the hundredth time, not knowing what each day will hold. Uh, As Jen, his mum, was walking him up the path to the classroom, she asked, are you worried about feeling alone uh, at school? His response, no, mum. I know that God is with me. Even if I'm by myself, I just talk with him in my head. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it, from a little kid, uh, that God is with us. And the believer is indwelt by God the Holy Spirit and, and he goes with us wherever we are and we can talk to God anytime. But what about this? We have Jesus guarantor. For our salvation, the perfect and forever king, priest and sacrifice who always, 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 always lives to intercede for his people. So we draw near to the Lord in Jesus with the sure hope that only he can bring. And look, I worry about having someone who will have my back, you know, today and tomorrow, the future, uh, short-term and long, to which all of you must say, you idiot, you idiot, draw near to God through the person and work of him. So how about we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you uh, that Jesus is a perfect and forever priestly king and sacrifice who is right now at your right hand interceding for his people. Lord, may you help us look to him And Lord, may we leave this place knowing the sure hope that can only be found in him. 
Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the pastoral concern of this book that the author clearly outlined, yes, Jesus is uh, the real deal, a legitimate priest, but not only legitimate, a greater priest, the only one who can represent us before you. And we want to thank and praise you for him and ask that in your mercy we might go on growing up together in him for your glory. And we pray in his name.